Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. And you're listening to the Grok Science Show. That's right, it's a weekly look at the world of science, technology, and their effects on our daily lives. Coming up on today's program, Anu Parthenen will join us to discuss the Nordic theory of everything. So stay tuned for all of this. Plus the Grokatron 5000. And our world famous question of the week. Coming right up. Here. On the Grok's Science Show. Science Show. Well, in the new book, The Nordic Theory of Everything in Search of a Better Life, Finnish journalist Anu Partanen, in her timely and thought-provoking new book, provides a measured and wise comparison of life in the U.S. versus her native Nordic region. She explores the aspect of life in her homeland that can ease American angst and improve our quality of life. This book is very timely and provides perhaps ways for her a saner and fairer and happier society. Today, I'm very pleased to join by the author, Ms. Anu Partanen, and again, the book is The Nordic Theory of Everything. And Ms. Patanen, I'm pleased to uh, welcome you today to the Grok Science Show. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, well, certainly our pleasure. Certainly a fascinating book here, uh, The Nordic Theory of Everything, where you uh, describe a little bit of comparison of American life versus uh, that in your native uh, homeland. I'm curious, uh, why did you decide to write this book? So I moved in the U.S. in 2008, and of course that was the time of financial crisis and the U.S. was in turmoil, obviously. Um, I had before that always lived in Finland. I worked as a journalist in Finnish language, and I moved here because I met American man, so out of love. And uh, before I came here, I had traveled in the U.S. and traveled in the world, but I think um, a lot of us Europeans think that we know what America's life is like. I think all of um, Everybody in the world usually thinks they know what the U.S. is like because we all watch the TV shows and we listen to music and, and we travel in the U.S. And when I came here, all of a sudden I realized that, well, actually I had had no idea because obviously it's so different to live in a country and start building a life and figuring out your health care and, and all these daily tasks. And so when I came here, I had sort of expected that while well, I was moving to New York and it's exciting and American dream and opportunity and Americans are always the wealthiest of all. And, and then what I found was that I was actually getting increasingly anxious myself of just sort of arranging things that I had thought would be sort of basic before in my life. I had always thought that these things such as healthcare are things that I actually never think about unless I'm sick. And so this was surprising to me. And and I thought about that, and then after a while, I realized that a lot of people around me in America were anxious as well, which, of course, we can see now with Bernie Sanders' support, with Donald Trump's support. A lot of people are upset and feel like the U.S. is not progressing in um, in the right direction. And around the same time, uh, a lot of these studies were coming out that compared countries in various areas, like gender equality or education or well-being, even happiness, as difficult it is to measure happiness. And Nordic countries were always doing really well and the U.S. not so well. So, of course, all this raised a question for me as a journalist and as somebody who had just moved to the United States. And, and today I'm actually a U.S. citizen, so I was committed to, to living in the U.S. To, so it was a very interesting question for me to discuss what's going on here and what are the differences in life. That was sort of why I wanted to start really looking into this. 
Uh, on the whole, then, do you think America then, or where is it really lacking in terms of its ability to provide for the basics, the, the sort of general security that would allow us then to concentrate on sort of pursuing happiness? Yeah, so I think this is the paradox of the United States. Obviously, in so many fields in life, the U.S. is the most advanced nation in the world. It's leading the world in technology, in science, the best academic research institutes, universities are here. Uh, so in so many ways, it is really the leader in the world. And it used to be the leader in also other areas that I talk about, such as education or middle-class life, American middle-class was always the wealthiest. So in the past, I think these went hand-in-hand in in pretty much all areas of life. The U.S. led the world. But now I think the paradox is that while in these sort of areas related to business and technology and research, it is still leading the world in areas that relate to sort of social structures that help families arrange everyday life, combine family and work, the U.S. is actually has been falling behind other countries and it hasn't developed these areas as well. And I think that can be certainly seen in, in, in anxiety levels. There was just recently this study came out that was reported in the papers where researchers uh, in social sciences had noticed this, what they call the happiness gap. So in the United States, People with children, parents, tend to say that they're less happy than people who don't have children. And this is, of course, sad. You would think that people with children would maybe be happier than people who don't have children. And in other countries, like in Nordic countries, it's the other way around. It is that people who have children say that they are happier than people who don't have children. And so researchers have been wondering, uh, why is this? And now they just kind of boiled it down to three things, and those were affordable daycare, um, paid sick leave and paid vacation time, which, of course, Americans are often lacking and people in other countries have. So this is sort of a fairly stunning show of if we think about happiness, we often think, of course, that happiness is something, you know, that comes from being you and and maybe you go to therapy to, to find happiness. But how about we just take care of basics first, and then after that we can all sort of look inward and, and think about our own attitudes and behaviors. Do you think this is just sort of endemic to the American ethos of individualism? Well, you take care of uh, yourself and uh, everything else. Yeah, I think this individualism is such a fascinating question. And in all honesty, I hadn't thought about it that much before I came to the United States. But when I came here, I really started to think about this. It's sort of these very American values and themes of opportunity and independence and individualism. And so a freedom. Uh, what are they? What kind of society supports them the best? And of course, in the U.S., the idea has for a long time always been that, that the best way to secure freedom and independence is to have as little state interference as possible. And in many ways, of course, Americans are completely right. Uh, we can see in many countries in the world right now, in Turkey or in the past in the Soviet Union, uh, that, that government can certainly be used to oppress people and take away freedom. But I think partly that faith in the U.S. can become also a little bit self-destructive because what Nordic countries, on the other hand, show is that government and state can also be used to provide more freedom. From my perspective, what I found when I was observing life in the U.S., and then I did a lot of interviews with people, ordinary families in Nordic countries in the U.S., um, I read social science research, and I just came to really conclude that in many ways, the systems that Nordic countries have put in place. And I I talk about things that in other countries are considered, you know, pretty basic things of life, such as paid parental leave, affordable daycare, paid sick days, um, 
high-quality public education that's easy to find if you don't have to, you know, buy a house in an extremely expensive school district. Um, these are services that support people's independence and autonomy and freedom and opportunity, all these things that the United States has been known for. So I, I do think that the Americans, very strong conviction that the only freedom is freedom from any kind of state interference can actually um, be problematic if you could do especially in this day and age of globalization, of gig economy, of people not work, having steady relationships with the employers or, or where they live or so on, it would be increasingly important that some of these basics that everybody needs to fulfill their potential in life and, and to, to you know, make the career choices they want to make would be provided uh, by the government or the state. It could be you know, local government or federal or whatnot. But, yeah, so that's one thing that I definitely think is interesting, and I wanted to talk about it in the book and try to maybe discuss uh, in relation to America, could we a little bit rethink this? Do you, do you think the U.S. was perhaps headed in that direction, but uh, at one point, and then sort of backed off? Of <laughs> that is such a great <laughs> question, because often, you know, people, uh, I often get asked about um, sort of history. You know, how do countries get to this point? And, and Nordic history is so different from American history, and, and can you really compare? And then the assumption often is that, well, in the U.S., we have never had uh, government, we have never used government support citizens. It has always been this idea that no government. I feel this is very uh, strong sentiment, but often when I give talks, for example, people ask uh, when we have a Q&A and they say that, you know, this is not the American way. But in fact, it has been the American way in the past. And there's this fantastic book written by um, two American political scientists uh, called American Amnesia that came out recently. And in this book, as the book's name <laughs> suggests, they discussed how very recently, even in the time of Richard Nixon, there were, for example, experiments in universal basic income. So even as recently as that time, there was actually strong faith in the U.S. that government could be used to provide basic services and high-quality services and provide opportunity for everyone. And it has been only sort of in the past maybe 30 years that this tide has sort of turned and, and big government has become this you know, almost a swear word. And so, like the book title suggests, Americans have kind of forgotten that actually there is a, a long history in the U.S. Of, of using government to help citizens and to provide freedom and opportunity, especially opportunity for all. Certainly, you, you know, you see the, the groundswell for this kind of thing with the recent presidential campaign and certainly Sa the Sanders campaign. Um, so there's certainly that, that desire for the switch in terms of how the public policy deals with. But do you think it's possible that the U.S. can move in that direction? I certainly think so. It's actually funny that I, you know, if anybody who knows Finns knows that Finnish people are not optimists. Finnish people are terrible, terrible pessimists. They always see life is sort of a parade of endless obstacles and things are pretty much everybody in Finland is sure that things are always going to get worse. But this is the Finnish mentality. But now that I'm in the United States, all of a sudden I find myself often a little bit more optimistic of the direction the U.S. is going or can be going than many Americans who've been in the country longer. Um, it is the American optimism rubbing on me. But, um, so I do definitely see signs. We can look at a lot of um, things that city or state governments have done in the field of raising minimum wages or or paid parental leave schemes. New York um, State just passed 
uh, a little suggestion that they're going to start building a system with a social insurance fund that, that employees will pay into, and then when they're on their three months of unpaid leave, they can uh, get paid during that time. And, of course, California has had a similar system in place for a long time now, but that's only for six weeks. But so, you know, there are all these initiatives happening um, in many fields. In New York City as well, that the, they're now offering public preschool for all four-year-olds. And this was a, a new thing that came about maybe two years ago. And in a fairly short time, they've got it up and running pretty well, if I understand. So I do see a lot of movement. And obviously, I think Bernie Sanders' sports shows that a lot of people really believe that we can make this change, and we should, and we should use the government to help provide these benefits. And I think Donald Trump's support shows that a lot of people feel like like there isn't opportunity in the U.S. anymore and something needs to be done. Their conclusions are a little bit different. But still, I do think that, that it's a moment where a lot of people are trying to think how to um, arrange things differently. It's interesting you mentioned the Finnish being somewhat pessimistic. Is that, is that a little bit contrary to uh, being happy, or can you be pessimistic and happy? <laughs> Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, people often ask me that. And I'll be honest, when, when a lot of these studies started coming out of Nordic countries doing so well, and Finland was often, you know, other Nordic countries too, Sweden, Denmark, always doing great. Uh, but Finland was on top of the list too, like even in happiness. And a lot of Finns themselves were like, you know, looking at these studies and saying that, no way, this is ridiculous. Uh, Finns are the unhappiest people on earth. So I think when we look at happiness studies, you really have to um, take a step back maybe and think, what is it that they're measuring? I don't think they're necessarily measuring anybody's sort of um, disposition to the outer world or if they laugh and smile a lot. I think the researchers who do these studies themselves say that the results pretty steadily correlate with um less income inequality, the less there's income inequality, the more there's happiness. Uh, the more people feel like they have control over their lives or they feel like they have opportunities to to um, decide which way their life will go or they can make their choices the, the more they say they're happy. So it's things like these. It's not necessarily that you're, you know, just smiling and happy all the time. Finns really are not. <laughs> but I think overall probably Finns still feel like they have a fairly steady grateful you know, of where their life is going and that their children still have opportunity in the world. I think this is the biggest thing. When you look at, for example, um, I was looking at studies relating to Brexit, and so one of the most significant differences was that people who voted for the UK to leave the EU were much more likely to say that they don't see their children doing better than themselves. They don't see their children having more opportunities in life. Um, than they themselves do. So I think this is a really important question. If we talk about happiness, what is happiness and how do people define it? But certainly having a vision of future where maybe the children still can succeed is really important. Um, so it's sort of how you define what, what is happiness. Maybe it's more uh, contentment is there rather than that kind of punch-in-the-air uh, enthusiasm that uh, maybe Americans associate yeah. with happiness. <laughs> and I, I certainly think, you know, other Nordics, from, from a Finnish perspective, Danes at least are always so cheerful and happy. We tend to think that they're always like these smiley, happy people. I think from an American perspective, you might still think that even Danes and Swedes can be, you know, quiet and happy and 
not really duper and just Americans tend to be. But I think it's a different question of whether we're sort of cheerful in our daily lives and whether we're actually happy. I mean, I love the American sort of positive energy and attitude, and I love it how encouraging people always are. Whatever your project is, you know, I was telling people I had moved here from Finland. I had always been writing only in Finnish language, never written in English. And I come here and I start writing slowly, and English is a foreign language to me. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to write this book about Nordic countries in America. And everybody I met was like, that's great. That's a fantastic idea, even though maybe they were sometimes thinking that, hmm, I wonder what's going to come out of that. So I think that's fantastic. But at the same time, I think we all can see that a lot of Americans are also understandably worried about You know, their children, how are they going to pay for daycare? How are they going to arrange their children's education? How are they going to arrange health insurance? Uh, how dependent they are on their employer and what the employer just chooses to, do they choose to fire them? Do they choose to give them paid sick days? These are things that are, I think, while Americans tend to be sort of positive and energetic and, and fun to be around, I think at the same time it's true that a lot of people are anxious and worried about their lives. So... So it's not so obvious that the person who smiles the most is necessarily happiest. So, so in a way, if we could just keep that positive energy and that that optimism, but uh, tweak a little bit of our our social structure, we'd have sort of the perfect society, huh? <laughs> exactly, that would be my ideal dream. You know, sometimes people, understandably, say to me that, well, if you think that Nordic countries do things so much better, why don't you live over there? Well, I don't think they do everything better, not at all. I think they just. But this DNA for 21st century, for, you know, globalized world where we're all more and more self-employed and more and more trying to arrange these things and it's more and more difficult. I think they have found some really good ways of arranging uh, some of these social structures that support families, to support women's ability to work, men's ability to take care of their children. So I think that's a good thing that they have done. But the U.S. has done other things really well. And uh, so my ideal would be sort of, combining that you are bringing some of these Nordic uh, models to the U.S. And then I think perfectly well that you can have both. I don't think it's either or. Well, maybe to close, what do you think folks can do on a grassroots level to try and move things more towards the, the Nordic way of, of living? Well, this is always a difficult, it's a really interesting question, but it's a difficult question because I think Americans, as we've discussed here, have a very strong um, tradition of sort of self-help of I will go home now and I will change this. And what I'm talking about is, of course, that these are really uh, systems that are kind of structural and I think could work better if we handled them at a government level. Right now, I think it's, a, a, it's actually a waste of a lot of time and energy and it creates a lot of stress that everybody in the U.S. is arranging all these things individually for themselves rather than having a little bit more centralized system that would provide it for everyone and everybody could then in their own life uh, focus on other things. So that that makes it difficult for me to say that, oh, go home and do this and this and everything will be all right. But I certainly think that it's about um, reading and thinking and voting, really, or joining your local um, groups that are, there are a lot of very active groups that are working towards um, spreading the word and passing laws on paid parental leave or public health care or so on. So I would just really combine this idea that we can work, like President Obama was saying in his last I speak, it's about self-government, it's about all of us um, participating in democracy or working towards this solution. So it's not really that you can go home and do yoga and it's all going to be okay. But I think you can certainly join the movement and vote and pay attention and talk to politicians 
to participate in the wanting to create this system. It's really just becoming aware that there there is probably a better way of doing things. <laughs> exactly. I mean, sometimes people have criticized my book for say, saying that, that, you know, it doesn't clearly offer a roadmap that this is how we're going to get there. And I, I, I hear that criticism, but I think I do discuss in the book a lot of these um, efforts that are underway in different places and what can be done. But I also think that one of the important things is also just to sort of think about things. Maybe maybe read my book, but not to be too self-promotional, but, but just, you know, read and think a little bit differently and maybe discuss with other people. Because part of the problem, I think, in the United States, and I discussed some of these studies in the book as well. Uh, there's a, a professor at Cornell University called Suzanne Messer who has some fascinating studies about Americans' understanding of government. What does government do? And, for example, she had um, interviewed, surveyed a lot of, uh, people and ask them, have you ever used a government social program? And so most people say, no, never. And then she actually asked, have you used any of these, you know, 20 programs that are often run through tax credits or whatnot, uh, such as employer-sponsored health care or even Medicare and Social Security, that should be pretty obvious. And most people had used them. They just didn't think of them as government social programs at all. Or they didn't realize they were using the program. But I think this is one of the things in the U.S., that should be discussed more and should change, and that I hope my book can participate in discussing what is it that government does, who benefits from it, um, how does it all work? Because I think right now it's often hidden. Suzanne Messler in the it calls it the submerged state where government does all these things, but nobody understands what it's doing and who it's benefiting, which is, you know, for everyone involved, I think, a sad state of affairs. So I think part of it is thinking and reading. And studying is also a really good way to, to start moving forward. Indeed, indeed. Uh, well, the new book is called The Nordic Theory of Everything in Search of a Better Life, and the author, Ms. Anu Pottatinen. And uh, Ms. Pottatinen, I want to thank you very much for joining us today on the Grok Science Show. Thank you so much for having me. And that's all for this week's edition of the Grok Science Show. Make sure you tune in next week for more from the world of science and technology. If you'd like to contact us here, you can email us at science at groks.net. For Grok Science, I'm Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. Make sure you also see us on the web at www.groks.net. Have a great afternoon and keep on grokking.